1: Legends are true. Overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of WICDONALD'S! The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece WICD nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra powerful! Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at WICDONALD'S! Ba da ba ba ba! Go! I participate in McDonald's for limited time while supplies last.
2: Heads me Medissa. I'm crazy, man! <laughs>
3: I'm a wizard, hold of make <laughs> <laughs> And it is I, Chiron. Percy. We have to tell you the truth about your upbringing. This information will change everything you know about the world. Oh, but wait, it's uh, it's time for Silly Snack Time, the time in camp where we all tell our favorite stories while eating silly snacks. It can wait for later, don't worry. Oh, but it will rock your world. Not gonna tell you, though. I'm gonna uh, wait two chapters. I'll be right back. Bye-bye, Chiron, away! I kind
2: of want to try vaping, but I'm so distracted by all these Greek mythology gods I have to defeat.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's me, Percy Jackson. <laughs> hey, it's me, Percy Jackson. It's really tough having a, a tension deficit hyperactivity disorder as well as dyslexia when all i want to do is play whatever the equivalent of fortnite was in 2003 but golly gosh gee that's all gonna change when i find out my deadbeat dad can control fish or something it's the percy jackson episode hi i'm the bruiser jake
2: that's right percy jackson and the olympians is a fantasy novel series consisting of six books authored by rick riordan is a riordan Yes, it is. Reardon? Reardon? I've heard Reardon. Reardon. That makes more sense. These books bring Greek gods into the 21st century with Percy Jackson being a demigod. Poseidon's son, to be more specific, uh, that is tasked with preventing the Titans from destroying the world. Jake, obviously this was uh, after our time, but I love doing episodes like these Mm -hmm. because I can smell the Scholastic Book Fair. Oh, yeah. I wonder, because I didn't get into fantasy until the Lord of the Rings movies started coming out and I was in college. Fantasy during our time was so different than, viewed than it is now. So much YA stuff came out in the fantasy realm. Like, obviously, it was with Harry Potter and everything becoming so massively successful, which, again, was just after our time. I wouldn't get to the Harry Potter books till I was an adult as uh, when Lexi and I both decided to get really into them, you know? Because we were really into the stuff J.K. Rowling was saying on Twitter. So we were like, we lo- what makes this lady tick? No, I'm just kidding. But uh, Hey,
3: that lady's got some great ideas about which kind of people are evil. Yeah, J.K. Rowling and John Cleese
2: are knocking it out of the park with tweets lately. We'll have you read these books. Uh,
3: literally, we just did that thing where it's uh, in- completely indistinguishable from parody. We literally could, like, the world, is just that it's no. just
2: well I, that's what i want i want the
3: people <laughs> who
2: feel one way about it to enjoy what i just said and the people who feel another way about it to enjoy what i just said that's how i get away with it gods and monsters the, both
3: enjoy yes the gods wizards and
2: monsters i want them all i want all the listeners we can get now uh but yeah so percy jackson definitely i missed it but i know i would have been into this i wonder if i would have been a lot more into fantasy growing up if this stuff was hitting because we had goosebumps, right? Mm-hmm. We had a weird horror-like surgeons with goosebumps and scary stories to tell in the dark. I remember that. But we didn't really have, like, a big flagship fantasy series for kids we that, had, in, uh, my, in my time. We
3: had Animorphs. And honestly, Animorphs...
2: Yeah, but that wasn't... Yeah, that's sci-fi, if anything. And, and even that, like... You know, it, it it was secretly a sci-fi, like a high sci-fi mm. series, you know, like it didn't come off like that. And then Harry Potter made it cool to get into fantasy and, and stuff like that. and made it more, you know, palatable. And I'm jealous mm-hmm. and I'm annoyed because like when I back when I was a nerd in school, it was just really so not <laughs> like really no, don't be one but uh i you know I, I i was one anyway you're
3: tapping into something though which is what i feel like is maybe the true magic of the percy jackson series is uh childhood fantasy books were pretty much the realm of the uh, hated englishman for a very long time you know uh-huh. it was your hobbit your lord of the rings your lion witch in the wardrobe your harry potter and it kind of made the idea of the fantasy narrative uh kind of a uh, you know, something that happened in other countries, something that was maybe a little more abstract. You know, there's it created a whole uh, generation of Anglo weeaboos for uh, British society. Sure. Because of the stories like well, yeah, this.
2: Well, they still had a king. Ips- I mean, still do have a king and queen situation going on over there. So it, right. it feels a little more, you know, I guess like uh, reasonable. Well, over you there, couldn't where- do
3: an American Harry Potter uh, specifically because it would just be like. Greg, you're a Paul Bunyan. (laughs) That's right. There's been Paul Bunyans living amongst, like it just doesn't work, right? We just ain't got the juice. Yeah, It's
2: like, fuck, that's boring. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty boring. You're just big and you chop down trees, but we call humans loogies.
3: (laughs) Okay, I don't care. So uh, Percy Jackson (laughs) is decidedly an American story. Uh, Percy, the character, has very relatable problems that the average 10 to 12-year-old at the time would be feeling, you know, uh feeling out of place in school, dealing with learning disabilities, dealing with a broken home. The sites of power that Percy deals with are places like the Empire State Building and the Washington Capitol and all of these like very recognizable icons of Americana and um the uh the fact that he uses a mythology that is just as, you know, at the same kids are going to be taught uh, the Greek canon and about mythology at around the same time as well. So these are characters that the base age would like be at least vaguely familiar with Zeus and Poseidon and Odysseus and all these kind of characters in their social studies class at the time. And it made it more accessible. And while I've previously had some like deep, holy shit moments with some of our YA topics like to this day, I think the Animorphs episode was one of the greatest revelations of all time. That series was so fucking metal. Um, And the Aragon series was also like at least a little bit like interesting and revelatory. Uh, I read the first uh, I read the first Percy Jackson book, The Lightning Thief, and I watched the two movies I understand those are their own can of fucking uh, Hydras, but it is just like, it is just pure popcorn reading. Uh It is just a series of action set pieces, relatable characters, the whole story, at least in the initial series, is told through the perspective of Percy Jackson, who is constantly giving out one-liners, constantly throwing out snarky little asides, constantly being like, you know, the kind of librarian that smells like an old sandwich. Like but
2: that's your, but that's you're glossing over. I think the most important element to Percy Jackson that's unlike the other things you just discussed. He nails the, like, voice of the middle schooler, Mm -hmm. the snarky, because that is everything in middle school. Don't you remember, Jake? Everything. You shat on everything. (laughs) Everything your parents did Mm -hmm. or said. I'm, like, bracing myself for it as a dad now. I'm, like, at some point, literally everything I do and say is going to be considered stupid, lame, or annoying, (laughs) or a mixture of the three to my daughter. And I'm just going to have to be okay with that because it's the natural way of things. What what Rick Reardon did that was so specific to you know specifically successful to Percy Jackson was he spent a lot of time in the field he spent a lot of time as a teacher with these kids and liked his job it seems and really like liked working with that age group he talked about how I don't think I have the specific quote but he talked about how he like he found them to be really funny and he really like found found middle schoolers to be not just like. Really great and interesting uh, uh, group of people, which, you know, is a rarity. I think most people look at middle schoolers with uh, pure disdain and... uh,
3: Lord knows I did back when I was in middle school.
2: Yeah, exactly. But also, like, he also felt for how awkward their lives are on a daily basis. How just clumsy and uncomfortable life is in those years. You know, it's it's a fascination I have. I love... Pieces material, you know, about that that age with perspective, like like the movie Eighth Grade is is a great example. Lady Bird, you know, these kinds of films. Uh, I think Lady Bird was maybe a little bit older, but you know, even like Big Mouth and stuff that explores like the and and, oh oh Pen Fifteen stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, Pen Fifteen. The pure discomfort and just horror, uh, just just awful, and 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 he really like kind of really like indulged in that as a teacher. I think he really like was fascinated by that. And it it seems like he had no intention of like, I'm going to be a teacher and learn about kids and then write these successful books. It was never like that. It kind of happened organically where he was like, oh shit, I guess I have to quit my (laughs) job now because I became a, like a millionaire (laughs) novelist, you know, but up until that point, he was just like, genuinely, I think has a, a, a love for these this age group these these kids that he taught and genuinely like enjoyed his job which is again i feel i at least maybe that's in my head but i find that to be a rarity as well a middle school teacher that like genuinely loves teaching that age group mm-hmm. you know and then went and sat down and was like i think i could figure out how to you know, spin a yarn that they would actually want to read as opposed to God. I mean, I think this was before we started recording. Like, oh my God, it was a minefield of bad or boring literature, I feel like, in those years in
3: English class, right? Like, it was What? Just, you didn't love Hatchet? Right? Every child loves being sat down and forced to read Hatchet.
2: Hatchet, I know. It was like all that stuff, you know? I remember I was I was like, I think I was even in the shower Bridge the other
3: to day. Terabithia? Come on, that shit slaps, yo. This,
2: this might have been early high school, I can't remember, but Tess of the D'Urbervilles, remember that? What? I mean,
3: just a no. boring
2: name, a boring book. I mean, everything about it. The Scarlet Letter, remember just reading that first page of Scarlet Letter? letter and wanting to blow your brains out. I don't know. Again, that might have been a little later on. But yeah, it was just like not very engaging, fun reading. And I think that he nailed that. And then it's very cool that, you know, we'll get to why he did this. It was was due to his son and everything. But it's very cool that, you know, he explored the whole idea. And this has been explored a million times in material for these age groups. But, you know, at least in a pretty authentic way towards ADHD and dyslexia of like the things that make you different that right now we're like the bane of your existence are also the things that can make you special and like really like do great things for you in this way that's hard to understand right now. <laughs> but I think he does a really good job of, of getting that off in a way that's, you know, led less obnoxious. Well, I him.
3: mean the, uh, one of the brilliant things about, uh, Percy Jackson is like the book opens with literally, uh, like and seemingly grown Percy Jackson addressing the uh the the reader and being like, if you feel like what I'm telling you is like reverberates and is like actually like you feel like you can apply to your own life, put the book down. You don't need this, like sh- you don't need this heat on you. And if you can read this book and think you're not a half blood, then you better hope you're right. Like it's really fascinating how the character of Percy is like alongside the reader and is like there as a friend. You're in his head. And how like a huge part of the book is like everything that makes you weird and different is actually a strength and you belong to a secret society of super beings, which, you know, especially as a kid that was into stuff like X-Men and stuff, that's that would have been catnip for me back in the day. And obviously the comparisons to uh, good old HP Hogwarts is uh, really, like, it's kind of, you know, the the core trio of uh, the initial series is like... The black-haired chosen one kid that everybody, like, has to explain the rules of the world to step by step. The uh, incredibly psychotically capable female friend that's, like, there to, like, keep him in line. The uh, slightly goofball but fiercely loyal third friend that's, like, along for the ride. The martyred mom, the, you know, the the parents that are just so torn that just want to help but can't and have to, you know, help in these mysterious side magic ways, rebelling against an unfair society, an unfair order. Even the, the, you know, the base of Camp Half-Blood, like what is the American equivalent to a boarding school in the British tradition, if not the sleepaway camp, this like- third place outside of the home and school where you're given way more independence, way more room for growth. And like, you make lifelong friends and can deal with problems on your own that you otherwise wouldn't. Like the comparison, like I can see why so many people saw these books and immediately just like, were counting the billions of dollars in their mind only to miss the thread. It's, it's, I don't know, man, this has just been it just seems like it's it all just seems nice. Yeah. I was I mean, like hoping for some like something like, like the the I was hoping for some fucked up revelation like we've had in the other YA book series. And this seems like just an agreeable, positive. Uh, uh, entertaining series of stories made for children to young teenagers. Oh, don't
2: worry, Jake. We've got plenty of negativity though later on in the episode when we get to Hollywood's just massive bungling of the uh, of the movies and Rick Riordan's, uh awful uh, experience working with studio execs and stuff like that. it, it ends on a high note. Uh, looks like with this TV series that's due to come out, but we have that and the musical. You just made me watch the musical. I mean, <laughs> that that that's the kind of thing that was like. Cthulhu for me. I mean, I I felt like if I watched much more of it, I'd simply go mad.
3: Life's real tough when you're a half blood, cause your dad's a god and your mom got vaporized (laughs) by a minotaur. Oh, I don't wanna do homework. Oh, I don't wanna fight monsters. I just wanna play Xbox all the time.
2: The Fortnite equivalent in 2003. (laughs) I thought that was interesting, they threw that line in there.
3: (laughs) Uh,
0: See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com/investinginamerica.
1: The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes.
2: One character I did take a bit of umbrage with, though, I just felt like it was unnecessary, it was cruel, because, of course, Rick Riordan has a bit of a disdain for the classic fantasy of J.R.R. Tolkien. So I, But but I still don't feel like it was okay that he had uh, that one character, Dildo Gaggins, <laughs> just thrown in there as some kind of pot shot at uh, the great works of Tolkien. And that part where he couldn't talk because he just had uh, penises in his throat, I felt was completely unnecessary, uh, uh, just, it, just, it was just a weird plot point in general.
3: There is a weird thing. Like, one of the first characters you're introduced in the book is a girl named Nancy Boba Fett. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is actually in the book. Bu- I'm sorry, Boba Fett? I don't know. I was listening to the audiobook, and every time they said Nancy Boba Fett, I got very confused. <laughs> like, is this a reference? God, it's so funny. There was, like... There's so many weird details in the book that they leave out of the movie that uh, I was actually kind of scared that the writer was going to be like a villain in some ways. But every single thing I read about him, like he seems like an incredibly decent human being. Yeah, so like he
2: either has really good PR abilities or he's just genuinely actually like it seems like a decent
3: or it's just if the book was written in 2005 overuse of the phrase preserving western civilization wasn't a red flag that it is now as well
2: well let's get into it let's talk about him rick riordan uh reardon It's just, I'm just, now it's in my head saying it one way or the other. Rick was born and raised in San Antonio, Texas. He was a self-described reluctant reader until he got to junior high and discovered mythology and fantasy. Rick said, I wrote a lot of short stories when I was young and even sent a few in to get rejected. My very first rejection note was from Isaac Asimov's Science Fiction magazine in 1978. My mother saved this for years and brought it out after I got published. (laughs) So he wasn't like a good student. He's one of those dudes when we like cover topics like these. He was like, I feel like you were either like incredibly brilliant. But for the most part, these guys are not good students. Not a, not an avid reader at all for, for many, many years. Did not really, and still, even in his middle school years, did the thing most of us did where he he didn't actually read any of the books, you know, that he was assigned <laughs> in, in class, right? You would look up synopses. Which
3: and, is weird because back then he didn't have access to sparknotes.com. Yeah.
2: Well, you had Cliff Notes. You had to go to the, uh, man, that was such a funny part of the yeah <laughs> books books store English class experience. You go to... <laughs> Fucking Barnes and Noble or whatever and go find the Cliff's Notes section. <laughs> Ugh. So though he loved reading, he initially wished to be a professional guitarist. And he was actually the lead singer of a folk rock band in college. Ooh. He transferred from the North Texas State University Music Program to study English and history at the University of Texas at Austin and later got his teaching certification, landing him at Presidio Hill School in San Francisco as an English and social studies teacher. And teaching was a great tool for his writing, which he did on the side, and he loved working with kids. Rick said, I would be hard-pressed to think of a way that being a teacher didn't impact the way I present material. It was perfect on-the-job training for writing for children. Although I didn't realize it at the time, it gave me a very good sense of what kids find interesting, what they find boring, <laughs> what they laugh at, what, what's engaging them. I learned everything I know about my audience from my years of teaching. I taught mostly middle school, 6th, 7th, and 8th grades, so that is kind of the audience I had in mind when I began writing Percy Jackson, although I found out the reading age is actually much broader than that. It is basically from 8 up. I taught English, no surprise, and history, no surprise. The mythologies
3: are all right there. Um, I don't know how much on the ground experience you need to know that 11 uh, year olds love cool sword fights and calling your stepdad stinky, but good for good on him. Well, good he
2: says him. he has this to say about it. Kids are a much tougher audience than adults. They won't sit through a bunch of extraneous information. The writer has to get to the point quickly and hold the reader's attention. I always imagine myself reading my own book aloud in fifth period right after lunch. Mm-hmm. If you can hold the attention of a classroom in fifth period, you're doing something right. Jake, do you remember how hard it was to pay attention to anything in the Class directly after lunch
3: lunchtime i don't remember because i didn't pay attention in class and spent the whole time drawing tiny comic books in the margins of my notebooks
2: absolutely oh Uh, my god
3: that actually yeah one of the in the the opening of the book is as you can't like you can't do an in media res or like a cold open for kids because that's like a little too fancy so literally the book begins with like my name's percy jackson we went on a field trip and i fought a monster Then, then, like the next four chapters are like, but nobody remembers the monster, and like it basically. Then he sets up his like life. It's like fascinating. I didn't even put it together. Wondering how I got here. Yeah, Yeah, like kind of a thing. It's it's there's like the it's the listen. If you're reading this, you might be a half blood, and that's a dangerous world. You might get killed, sucker. Then it's my shitty math teacher turned into a harpy, and I had to kill her with a sword in the middle of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Then it's like the next few months were weird because nobody remembers that our teacher turned into a harpy, and they actually go through the exposition of explaining as like the world and the rules are actually revealed in a deliberate order. I, oh, fuck, I never even put that together. I, I mean, at the time I was like, that was weird. But yeah, you can't just do a. You can't just do a cold open for no. kids. That's like that's too artistic.
2: Yeah, it's it's uh, you know, it's I feel like Goosebumps kind of operated like that too. They'd like hit you in the face with something, you know, uh, real 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 wild. And then they had they they bought a little time. Mm-hmm. And they can kind of lay some tracks, you know. I think that's all. That's got to be the approach with writing for that for that age group. So, uh, though he was content with teaching, he was drawn back to writing due to homesickness. Actually, Reardon said, "After college, I became a teacher and was quite happy with the idea of doing that the rest of my life. However, I read a lot of mystery books in my spare time, and when my wife and I moved to San Francisco, I started missing Texas. I decided on a lark that I would try writing a hard-boiled private eye novel set in my hometown." of San Antonio. Ten Ten months later, Big Red Tequila was finished. (laughs) It took about one year to find a publisher, which was actually fast for the publishing world. And it was off to the races with uh, that series. It was uh, published first in 1997, and it spawned the Trace Navarre series of books, which is about uh, a guy with that name who becomes uh, like a DIY private eye in Texas. And uh, he would actually pump out a book in this series a year while also teaching Hmm. and uh, held this up for several years before becoming a full-time writer with the Percy Jackson series. So it seems like a kind of guy, like I'm jealous of a guy like this. It seems like the kind of guy who just like, I don't know, takes a lot of, a lot of joy in like, in, in work, mm. you know, like to the point where he's able to, pump, I mean. The
3: opposite of a comedian, you're saying. Well,
2: I guess he does have summers and stuff, right? So maybe that's the trick there. He kind of probably pumps out a lot more during his like off time.
3: Mm.
2: And now that I think about it, no, no, I'm just, it's so hard. You know, some of the hardest years of my life were working a nine to five and then going doing comedy all night, mm-hmm. you know, and like rehearsals and shows and writing and, you know, I mean, it was just so relentless and such little downtime, you know, that it's just, it's always wild to me when someone's able to like, be like, I'm already a full-time teacher and then I'm just going to start pumping books out, you know, a year, once a year. And that doesn't stop with Percy Jackson, by the way. It's a non, I couldn't believe the fucking uh, run of all the, but we'll get into it in just a little bit, but the run of all these books I mean, it literally goes from, like, 2005 to today. Mm -hmm. He literally pumps a book a year out, uh, if not two. And I know there's other writers involved now, I believe, right? But, um... It's still crazy, uh, so yeah, the inspiration, so he's doing this uh, detective series, and that's that's all good and fun, but that's not like hitting you know that's just a couple old, sad, broads <laughs> fucking <laughs> depressed. Their husband lives inside of a bottle of whiskey, you know, he comes home from the trades or whatever he does. You know, and she's just like, how was work? He was like, worse than yesterday. She's like, that's what you said yesterday. I'll say that every day. And then she goes to the grocery store, and she's like, maybe I'll drink myself to death tonight. You know what I mean? She's drinking, and then she sees the Trace Navarre book, and she's like, oh, that'd be nice. But how many ladies are doing I mean, that's like 10 ladies are doing that, you know, a month, you know. So uh, it wasn't until the Percy Jackson series. Wow. (laughs)
3: What? I'm just trying to
2: paint a no, picture. No, no, you're here. Des-
3: you're describing the sad, futile lives <laughs> of the average adult novel reader, <laughs> and as opposed to the enlightened, glorious life of the adult gamer. And you know, it's just these are just facts. You
2: know, this next part of the story really, really speaks to my own heart. My dad, growing up, I used to have him make up stories, and he was very reluctant to do so. He wasn't uh like prolific novelist or whatever, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? so But he would spin me these yarns. He called him Pat the Rat. My dad's name's Pat.
3: Aww. And he would
2: do Pat the Rat. And it, they were always just very extremely thinly veiled stories from his childhood, you know, but just with a family of rats. And I loved them and I valued them so much. So I just find it to be so sweet that this all came from uh, his daily routine with his son, uh, asking him to make up bedtime stories. Rick said, My son, Haley, asked me to tell him some bedtime stories about the Greek gods and heroes. I had taught Greek myths for many years at the middle school level, so I was glad to comply. When I ran out of myths, he was disappointed and asked me if I could make up something new with the same characters. I thought about it for a few minutes, then I remembered a creative writing project I used to do with my sixth graders. I would let them create their own demigod hero, the son or daughter of any god they wanted, and have them describe a Greek-style quest for that hero. Off the top of my head, I made up Percy Jackson and told Haley all about his quest to recover Zeus's lightning bolt in modern day America. It took about three nights to tell the whole story. And when I was done, Haley told me I should write it out as a book. And uh, he was able to, you know, work with uh, uh, his own son's issues with ADHD and dyslexia through the character of Percy Jackson. Rick said, When I was writing Percy Jackson, my own son was in the process of being tested for learning differences. He was having trouble reading and some trouble focusing in the classroom. The teachers were wondering about ADHD and dyslexia. He was frustrated about learning to read, and we had to explain to him that the testing was designed to help the teachers help him, not to make him feel bad. As a teacher, I've worked with lots of kids who have learning differences. I participated in testing, evaluations, and made modifications in my classroom, but somehow it's different when your child is going through the process. Eventually, my son was enrolled in the Scottish Rite program, which caters to children with reading difficulties like dyslexia. He's doing much better now, but it wasn't an easy process. While this was happening, I did a lot of reading about dyslexia and ADHD. I especially liked the books Getting Ahead in School and Driven to Distraction. I was surprised to learn that ADHD and dyslexia frequently go together. The books also confirm something I already knew, that dyslexic ADHD kids are creative outside-of-the-box thinkers. They have to be because they don't see or solve problems the same way other kids do. In school, unfortunately, they are sometimes written off as lazy, unmotivated, rude, or even stupid. They aren't. If they can get through their rough school years, they often go on to become very successful adults. Employers love them because they come up with original, fresh ideas. Making Percy ADHD dyslexic was my way of honoring the potential of all the kids I've known who have those conditions. It's not a bad thing to be different. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's the mark of being very, very talented.
3: And I will say that, like, having the hero of your mainstream, you know, children's fantasy series. Have these like medical condition or you know not I'm sorry not medical conditions but like diagnosed uh, issues is flaws defects yeah yeah uh, uh, you know miss a broken broken bits
2: (laughs) yeah broken being a broken child yeah these mental ways it
3: is very (laughs) was very ahead of the time especially now when we live in such a uh, such a and thanks to social media and a lot of uh, and just the prevalence of testing and diagnoses like. The you know, so many people are dealing with these issues right now. It's a little bit, you know, clumsy, especially in the first few books in the movies, where like <laughs> where like, uh, you know, it's, it's Percy'll just say something. I think it's the movie where it's like, I think the dyslexia' is getting worse. Why? I don't know. Maybe it's the ADHD. Like, it's just like, they're just like buzzwords being thrown around a little bit. Yeah. But there yeah. is a lot of uh, really human stuff. There is a scene in the book that was cut from the movie where it uh, has Percy studying for a mythology test at his school, and he doesn't want to get expelled from the from the school. And uh, it just describes something I recognize very much, which is a night of just futility struggling to just like sit down and get the information off the page when like your brain is just unable to ingest the words. And I was, you know, um, it was, we were listening, me and Marie and uh, onto the audio book on a like eight hour drive back from uh, Thanksgiving. And, you know, that was a moment where we're like, God damn, God damn, Rick preach. Yeah. Like, yeah, let the kids know it's, you know, they're not alone.
2: Well, I do want to agree with you, Jake, but I do have to throw it at you, buddy. Mm -hmm. We did already get, uh, in the Burger King's Kids Club, we had the wheelchair kids. So it was well established by this point. Okay, all right, all
3: right. I understand. So, it
2: is... It is Mac and Me, which is a McDonald's movie, uh, sponsored movie. That kid was in a wheelchair as well, famously, as Paul Rudd has made sure we've known every time he goes to Conan.
3: It is, like, I think it is fine. I I don't actually think it is destructive or like uh, mean to give kids a fantasy like this, because obviously every fantasy is like, oh, no, I'm not unpopular. I have secret alien parents or like, no, I'm not like slow i have uh, undiscovered superpowers and like on my 13th birthday i gained super speed like these are common fantasies but it is weird that like percy has adhd and dyslexia and actually both of those are part of his secret superpowers the uh, the dyslexia is because he has trouble reading english cuz his god blood is uh tuned to read ancient greek instead and he doesn't have ADHD, he has heightened battle senses because of his warrior heritage. Yeah. His friend Grover uses crutches, but he doesn't actually need the crutches. He has He's a satyr, and he has goat legs, and he can run real fast and do cool stuff. His teacher, Mr. Brunner, is in a wheelchair, but he actually is a centaur and uses the wheelchair to hide his horse body. Like, I'm sure, like, Reardon is a smart enough author that, like, I'm sure if I kept reading through the series, it would be like, And I'm deaf. And he's like, because you have heightened sense of smell? Like, no, I'm just, it's just a regular thing about being alive that I have. It's fine. He does a
2: great (laughs) job of explaining shit that you would not even think. That was one of the things I was getting the biggest kick out of when we did our watch along over on our Sunday study session, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Yes, plug it. It's a a good time. You get the Sunday study session where we get, we watched the first Percy Jackson movie together. It was a blast. And, you know, there's that whole part where the guy, Uh, What's the character's name? Uh, uh, The wheelchair. uh, Speaking of wheelchairs, uh, Chiron. Chiron, Chiron. uh, That is Chiron. Yes, that's. And played by, why am I forgetting who played by Pierce
3: Brosnan, name, Mr. Goldeneye?
2: Yeah, and he does great in it too, by the way. And, you know, they explain, though, but it gets revealed that he's actually um, uh, Centaur, you know? And it's like. And I was like, wait, how does that work with the wheelchair? And then Jake's like, no, no. And how and he actually explains this in the book. It'll be amazing if they <laughs> explain it
3: in the movie. But what what was it again, uh, Jake? Uh, there's a magic box that can fit an entire horse body in the seat of the wheelchair. <laughs> and there's a pair of fake human legs attached to the wheelchair. But
2: then there's also the shitty stepdad that he has to deal with or or whatever. The shitty, like, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah and it's like. Gabe.
3: Stinky Gabe. Yeah, he's. Played by Joe Pantale in the movie. He's
2: awful and terrible, and it's so, like, almost, you know, it's like to campy levels of bad, mm-hmm. and it's like, no, no, he's actually purposely, we got him purposely to be horrible because uh, that hides your demigod, uh, uh, you know. He's
3: so stinky and venal that his human weakness casts a cloud of shittiness around everyone around him, <laughs> and so his so Percy's holy godlight can't to, like, be detected him, by monsters. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Because of how shitty this guy is. Like, I love that stuff, though. I love the art of explaining these ridiculous things by, you know, and and,
3: and Rick. Because it's a very childlike desire that like all the things that make me upset have a secret noble purpose, which is what everybody wants. I mean. Uh, Every kid that's ever wanted to run away, there's like a common psychological phenomenon. If I remembered my Psych 101 terminology, where like at around age seven, every kid like just starts imagining that their parents are fake and they're just like, "Uh, my real parents are actually a king and queen and they're going to come pick me up any day now. Yeah. yeah. Like there's just this, this, this er desire inherent in childhood for like, for us to get whisked away and have everything that troubles us be explained and like given higher purpose.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's it's good. I, I think that's st- that stuff's a lot of fun in these books. Uh, so Rick Rorden you know, put a lot of value in mythology and finds that that's something fundamentally important. To, to be teaching to kids, it's a big part of like his passion for this project. He said, Greek mythology is everywhere in modern culture. You see it in movies, television, books, architecture, music, drama. The more one knows about Greek mythology, the more one appreciates the modern world and where we've come from. The stories are timeless. Not only are they fun and interesting for young readers, but they also explore such important themes as loyalty, friendship, jealousy, family, patriotism, and the horrors of war." But it's also just very accessible to kids, uh, according to Rick. He said, mythology is a natural draw for kids. It has magic, mystery, adventure, everything you could want. I tried to mix in the modern with the ancient and use plenty of humor. Basically, I tried to structure my books the way I structured my classroom, to always keep the kids engaged. And that makes a lot of sense, you know. I mean, yes, sure, you can have Harry Potter, like, wholly created, made up. But it is, you know it is some of the only source material we have when it comes to like the history of cultures and things like that. That's like, here's a fucking giant, you know, bullhead man Mm -hmm. that chases you around a maze, which is a way more visceral, fun thing to wrap your head around as a kid. than you know, I don't know, uh, yeah, have Tess of the Durbervilles. I mean, why, what the hell did I have to read that book? I didn't read it.
3: This is a, this is a crazy thing in the book. Um, they barely touch on it in the movie, but like, why are the Greek gods in America? Why is there so, like, why are they just, why is Mount Olympus through a secret elevator on the Empire State Building? Why are all these like hidden treasures like in Las Vegas and everything? Um, and the answer is because the Greeks Created democracy, the Greek gods just go where the democracy juice is strongest, and America represents the 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 like it has inherited the true mantle of freedom and liberty that uh, noble Athens once represented, and the Greek gods, though they aren't currently believed in or worshipped still hold the power of Western civilization. And Western civilization is a source of so much light and freedom and uh, good in the universe that we must, if the gods fall or if the gods go to war, everything we know and love about the American way of life will die with them. Which, uh, again, in 2005, maybe that's just like baseline uh, you know, centrist whatever dialogue. Nowadays, it really raised the hairs in the back of my neck because I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> um, there's also this uh, this crazy thing. This is this is like a weird plot point. I just have to acknowledge this. It is just flat out stated that the reason why Percy Jackson's birth is so controversial and is causing so much of a commotion within the realm of Olympus is because, uh, in the world of Percy Jackson. The Greek gods and their uh, magical offspring were directly involved, if not totally responsible for the events of World War II. Uh And the horrors unleashed therein were so unspeakable that Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades had a blood pact to never sire any more children after that. And um, it's just a very weird thing that, again, this is a middle grade book. This is meant for young, young readers There's just like, uh, yeah, I listen, don't think about it too hard, but the Holocaust and the bombing of Nagasaki was a result of Ares and Hephaestus. Don't worry about <laughs> it. Like It's just such like a weird, I, and, and again, it's just because Reardon's just like an older white guy, and what do older white guys love? They love World War II. In the second book, there's a whole sequence that takes place on a Confederate Ironside ship, just because what, uh, you know, Civil War shit. These are just the things that a guy like Rick Reardon would be, you know, reading history books about about, watching History Channel shows about, it's just like a fun little like There's just a little bit of the old white guy influence seeping in. And I just find it a little bit funny reading it and, uh, you know, going through these stories as an adult.
2: Yeah, how he shoehorned uh, Daisy Duke from Dukes of
3: Hazzard (laughs) into the whole thing. I will never
2: understand. Percy, the
3: missing pearl of Persephone. It's hidden behind this hot ass poster of Farrah Fawcett. God damn, look at this (laughs) hot lady. (laughs) Isn't
2: Shawshank Redemption a great film? By the way, just have to bring it up. Percy,
3: we have to get into this 76 Camaro that my uncle had. God, I wanted this car (laughs) real bad.
0: (laughs) Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico.
2: Rodan, I really like his whole philosophy and approach to writing for kids. So I had more of a section on that as well, because I think that's a lot of the sauce of this. I think for me, the sauce of this episode is brilliantly writing for a very challenging age group to write for. And then uh, years later, having to deal with the real children of the world, Hollywood studio executives and uh, how they uh, essentially uh, attempted to not a, they didn't try to do it, but you know they always succeed or most of the time they do, and completely fucking up the source material in the movie adaptation. Again, we'll get there. But um, he had this to say uh, about the, his approach to writing for kids: is this really what this was his very first effort, and it became a massive success. He said, I think kids want the same thing from a book that adults want. A fast-paced story, characters worth caring about, humor, surprises, and mystery. A good book always keeps you asking questions and makes you keep turning pages so you can find out the answers. Which actually every Harry Potter book is essentially like a mystery novel, if you think about it. Oh yeah. And that's it's
3: always except it's always Voldemort who did it. (laughs) Exactly.
2: Also, he says, I didn't worry about vocabulary or sentence length or book length or any of that. Of course, I tend to write in short, snappy sentences anyway, but I think it would be a mistake to write down to kids. They hate that. They want to be treated like intelligent, sophisticated readers, and who can blame them? But from his teaching experience, he also found the kids don't like long descriptions of things. I'm looking at you, first chapter of Scarlet Letter. <laughs> and, uh... Uh, yeah, long description things that go on for several pages, as well as books with, like, a, a vague plot. The plot needs to be, like, very present and in your face from the very beginning. I'm sure you found that to be the case uh, in the in the car, Jake.
3: Oh, no. Every – I mean, first of all, it's actually kind of amazing. The uh, One of the things that I found really endearing about Percy Jackson is the way that everything just has a, like, MacGuffin and an obstacle. Like, yeah. there's just – I we got to get from A to B and there's a thing in our way and there's going to be a fun little set piece. We either got to fight Medusa. We got to fight some Furies. We got to like solve a little riddle. And then we move on to the next piece of the puzzle to get us to where our greater thing is going. They even built, it's even built into like the universe that like, Quests are just freely handed out and given as noble endeavors to the young great. demigods. Yeah, totally. Another thing that's really great about the series is, uh, especially from the, uh, the the Percy Jackson and the Olympians, is all the chapter titles have like these kind of non sequitur uh, descriptions of what is happening in the ensuing chapter. So it's just stuff like, I ruin a perfectly good bus. We get advice from a poodle. We take a zebra to Las Vegas. We shop for water beds. Like it's uh, it's all just like kind of tongue in cheek and like letting the reader know that something wacky and something exciting is in store for you in the next couple of pages.
2: When he finished the manuscript, he first had his son read it, who said it was great. So then he took the book to school. And before really where I think even before working with like a lot of like editors, stuff like that. He just fucking gave it out to a collection of sixth, seventh, and eighth graders to read it for feedback. He said, I was nervous. I'm used to showing my work to adults, but I had no idea if kids would like Percy. I finally understood what it must be like for them, turning in an essay to me and waiting to get their grades back. (laughs) Fortunately, the kids really liked it. They had some good suggestions, too. They helped me pick the best title for the book. They also had some good ideas on how Percy should act uh, if he had ADHD. Uh, One student helped me refine the way Percy's sword uh, worked. I'm very glad I showed the novel to kids first. That's awesome. I love. I really love that. This is the thing I think is just so important about this is that he clearly respected his audience, and that is qu- kind of rare when it comes to stuff written for kids, you know. And I love when I see this. We caught this in like the Iron Giant episode. That, that you know, there's a. It's always the case where it's like where I'm not going to write down to you. I'm not going. I'm going to like treat you like an intelligent, you know, consumer of of this stuff. And, uh, you know, and, and then and then to really, really source them. And that's why it's so tragic when we get to the emails that he sent to uh, 20th Century Fox about the script that he read, Be, because it's he's like, I I've been I've been around these kids for years. I know this shit, man. Please trust me. And they just absolutely don't listen to him. And it's very, very unfortunate. And, you know, and you can tell like that. There's just it's like a, there's like a disrespect towards kids, you know what I mean? Uh, when it sometimes when it comes to like these these types of Hollywood productions and stuff, man, fuck Hollywood! <laughs> All you Hollywood fucks listening to this right now, go back to your weird sex island where I know you came from and fucking you know get out of it. I can't believe they cut dildo baggins, uh, Gaggins, <laughs> rather from the movie. By the way, that really frustrated me because it was the one fun, this is the one sexy character they had. Uh, So, yeah, the first book, titled The Lightning Thief, is released in 2005. It slowly becomes a big hit with young readers. Riordan said... I hoped the stories would get kids reading, but I never anticipated such exponential growth. It was not an overnight success, nor was it heavily marketed at the beginning. The Lightning Thief was passed around from kid to kid, teacher to teacher, parent to parent, and the series got bigger with each book. It really was a grassroots phenomenon. I owe a special debt to the librarians of Texas who embraced the books early on and did a huge amount of uh, book talking with their kids. Hey, it's like the ICP episode, Uh, but really also kind of more like the Aragon episode in terms of it being like a slow Mm -hmm. burn to becoming a huge success. Still, I have trouble thinking, this is going back to Rick Riordan's quote, I have trouble thinking in terms of millions. I measure success by anecdotes. The kid who told me he never liked books until he found the lightning thief. The parent who thanked me for turning her daughter into a reader. The teacher who said I turned her class around because they bonded over reading Percy Jackson every day. That's what it's all about for me. It's
3: awesome. Ah, this is this is my own hot take, Holden. This is my own hot did take. See, but did he secretly evil? <laughs> no, he's not secretly evil. I I, I uh, But like, it is the equivalent of like a popcorn movie. Sure. There is like, there's some like themes about loving it's a yourself. Beach read. Yeah, yeah. And so like, I feel like the the amount that books are given as like the the reverence for the act of reading a book is like way overstated and I feel like there are many ways to convey information and like a, you know, if you have the assets, if you have the money, if you have the creative drive and team to make a good TV show, like that's another way to tell a serialized story. If you have a, uh, you know, a, a talk, you know, that's a way to share information. And the fact that like a parent looks at their kid hunched over a book And you're like, oh, thank God my child is of distinguished quality and they're learning the power of like uh, literature when like they're just reading a thing that's just like, and then I turned my sword into a, uh, my pen into a cool sword called Riptide and I went slashy slash on the Medusa. And then my buddy was like, whoa, this, she smells stinkier than last week's meatloaf. Like, "Ah, you don't, I understood.
2: All right, here's my, here's my counter take. Mm -hmm. Yes. What you're saying is true. This is a a beach read. This is is pulp. You know what I mean? And all this kind of stuff. But while that is pretty standard fare, whatever, Mm. reading stuff for adults, for kids, it has so much of an importance because in the age of tablets and streaming Mm. and constant stimuli on screens... Anything that gets kids to stop doing that shit and pick up a book and read is of vital importance, and it is a gateway. That's the difference. These kinds of books are like gateway drugs. Like, you get into this, and then maybe eventually you you, you get into something maybe a little more intense, you know, uh, fantasy-wise, and then you say, oh, what is this, you know— what is this uh, Steinbeck over here trying to tell me about? You know what I mean? And it, it's so important for learning, for development, mm. to, to be reading books. And it's it's really, really hard to make that happen in the age of video game on your iPad, you know, and just, just constant fucking noise from phone screens. And I mean, I'm, I'm dealing with it myself as we're trying to limit screen time as much as possible. It's very challenging. And nope. so I can't imagine
3: anything more challenging than like literally having the most captivating satisfying object ever yeah. conceived of by mankind in the house and not using it. like, But it
2: fucks with your brain, man. it oh, fucks it absolutely with your, serotonin, does. your dopamine and your it's just not good. I mean, I, I see it. I see it firsthand. If Winnie gets more than, you know, half an hour to an hour of screen time a day, it, it makes her f- fucking moody and grumpy and weird <laughs> to be around. It's not good. And, and then on top of that, I think it's really excellent, the layer of, because so many kids, I was dealing with this with um, uh, a family uh, friend of mine's kid having dyslexia, and how fucking gutting that is for a child. It's really, especially in those middle school years when all when you're so scared of standing out in a negative way, when you're mm. so just don't. Wanna, it's like prison. Middle school's like a jail. Like, you don't want to make noise. You don't want to stand out. You want to keep your head down. You know what I the mean? The
3: only thing worse than uh, failing your grades because you need a little extra time on your test is having the teacher collect all the tests and then be like, no, no, no. Young Glortimer gets extra time because he's bad in the brain. Right. And we have to be nice to him. Like, oh, God, mortified. Right,
2: right. He only eats colors. You know what I mean? He's <laughs> just eating, like, orange <laughs> paper. And you're just like, what is that, you know?
3: And so any- He has to eat the colors, Holden. It's it's a gut <laughs> disorder. He didn't pack the colors. The doctor said- Well, can they have
2: picked a better <laughs> fucking name for the guy? I mean, Jesus
3: God. Can he just be Mark? No, Because I mean, no. at that point- We all know a Glortimer. Glortimer? Yeah, it's, it's, it's just, how it, just how it rolls, man. We
2: try to come up with a way to make fun of him, but the name is its own way to make fun of him. <laughs> Glortimer uh,
3: also has giant tubes sticking out of his neck like, uh, Bane, kind of like Bane from the Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Geez, he's like there's stripped. just a constant hiss of the hydraulic pump that just, keeps the green fluid.
2: Oh, I eat in colors. I get more time for my toast. He's 47. He's 47, but he's. we think he's going to get it this year. Um, I'm just glad there's something out there for those fucking idiots oh my to God. read and feel
3: like. <laughs> You're you you elephant stopped my point, Jake. It was a great. It was no, a I, 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 the more the more I think about it, the more I will say <laughs> I that think you need these books a little bit. I think you got to get your head out of something. No, I don't know what's I'm going saying on. like you know, a, I'm saying like something you know, like Adventure Time is just as deep sure. and if not like more like endearing and emotionally helpful to kids. Than this. But
2: while Adventure Time and Bluey and stuff like that is awesome because, like, there's so much fucking noise on those screens that that is like this safe haven. That's kind of a different, beautiful, wonderful thing that exists. This is just like anything to get you to approach your own downtime, mm-hmm. your own personal entertainment time in a different way and to really thoroughly enjoy that. Because, hey, books not gonna run out of batteries, bro. You can take it anywhere. You know what I mean? You can, you can. You know, you get a little nightlight maybe is the only thing you might need to always be able to read it. But uh it's it's just very, very valuable stuff to get kids reading at this day and age.
3: And I will say, obviously, uh I did not get deeper into the series, but, tr- you know, getting a taste of the fandom, I do understand that, you know, just as Percy Jackson grows up through each book. The, you know, the subject matter gets more mature. You know, things get a little bit heavier. We get more adult problems introduced into the series. And I can see how growing up alongside Percy Jackson can be a very emotionally fulfilling thing. It was, it's just like, whenever I, it's, it's, I don't know why I just got activated by all these stories of parents being like, I was so proud to watch my child read a book and then experiencing the book and knowing that it real, like at least Lightning Thief, is very fluffy. It's very, it's just a movie on paper. I'm
2: fine with that. I'm absolutely fine with that because it's still like more intense like than what I was reading at that. Like again, like Goosebumps was great, but this like, there's all these characters you got to keep up with and plot lines Mm. and there's still like some, some, you know, higher-end stuff going on than the fair I feel like I grew up with, you know? I
3: hope people are, en- are appreciating this conversation. I just didn't just, like, drop my pants and reveal that I'm, like, the- history's greatest villain. <laughs> no,
2: it's an excellent point. It's, al- it's kind of a hilarious great point, honestly, <laughs> that, like, it's like, yeah, they're, oh, it's so magical that they're reading about, like, you know, I'm, you know, well, I was going to say I'm like dick fart, man, but I got to (laughs) stop saying that because it's not like it's got, uh, you know, uh, profanity in it, uh, at least at this point. But, man, there's a lot of it, too. I'll tell you that much. If he wanted to keep people reading, he certainly did uh, put in a good effort to do so over the next uh, four years. So he releases a book a year. Um, for the next four years after Lightning Thief comes out. So you've got 2006 is the Sea of Monsters, 2007 is the Titan's Curse, 2008 is the Battle of, La- of the Labyrinth, and 2009 is the Last Olympian. Then there is a sequel series. So that gets us up to the 2010s. He doesn't stop. Then there's Heroes of Olympus, uh, which I- introduces Roman mythology. Uh, because, of course, again, middle-aged dude, um, you got to get the Roman Empire in there. I mean, yeah. what are we
3: doing here? You can't. I mean, we all can't World stop War thinking II. about it. Yeah, we all can't stop. They do something very interesting with the Roman Empire because the Roman gods are the Greek gods. It's actually it deals with like the same entities being like almost having a schizophrenic episode oh, that's cool. between themselves cuz they embody both. It's like kind of fascinating, but this is also where they introduce like a different character point of views. So it's not just Percy Jackson as the narrator, yes. you actually get to experience different characters' perspectives.
2: Yeah, nose those run from 2010 to 2014. Then you've got Apollo's point of view in The Trials of Apollo. This consists of five books as well. And, and then there's also two spinoff series, The Kane Chronicles and, and Magnus Chase and the Gods of Asgard. Then he returns back to the main series with a sixth installment, uh, which was published in 2023. So now we're up to date. It is titled The Chalice of the Gods, and it actually takes place between the books of the first sequel series. And then I literally just wrote, for fuck's sake, and all caps. <laughs> so it actually, that the, yeah, that book, the sixth book in the main series takes place between, I believe, the first and second book of the sequel series, um, and the, Heroes of Olympus.
3: And we also have to mention the greater Reardon verse in which other authors tackle different uh, mythologies and pantheons, such as the Pandava Quintet by Roshani Chochki. I was a terrible pronunciation of that person's name, Uh, that covers Hindu mythology. There's the uh, Shadow Bruja duology that does Aztec mythology. There's a Korean mythology series. There's a uh, space Cuban series, West African mythology, Mesopotamian mythology, even Hmong mythology. Oh God, the list keeps going. There are tons and tons of What if gods were real and they had fun kid adventures? Yeah. uh, All written by different authors with more uh, direct connections to those heritages.
2: And uh, it all came back around full circle in 2021, joining that whole... Crew, uh, you've got Bad Butt Brian written by Glortimer
3: Laurel Laurel. Which
2: is terrible. I mean, it is just, it is written.
3: Well, it backwards. was the only, it's the only book that addresses Christian theology, which yeah. I thought was very brave. It's very, very brave. It's a pop up book. The Lost Son of Jesus, Glortimer. <laughs> it's a pop up book. There's Bad like Butt, what do you call him?
1: <laughs> Glortimer Laurel Laurel. <laughs> <in it.
3: laughs> There is a great line in the uh, in the first book, which is the only book I read. I understand. I keep coming back to it. Um, where, like, I think either Poseidon, no, I think Chiron's or Di- no Dionysus, played by Stanley Tucci in the movie, uh, is just like. Uh, oh, no, you're talking about capital G, God. We have nothing to do with that guy. That's We're not talking about him. Don't worry about that. Nice. Which was Reardon's, like, already knowing the trouble that, like, Harry Potter got into because of witchcraft and Pokemon and just every single thing was, like, begging, begging the nation's Christian parents to be like, I'm not advertising that your children should become pagans. For the love of God, right. don't come for me. I am acknowledging your god okay that's not what this is about I just
2: realized I feel like the next step w- would eventually be hey were you obsessed with Percy Jackson and now you're like of age to like move on here's a book called American Gods oh. I wonder if that would be like really good you know Kind of next stop, the the fantastic Neil Gaiman work uh, that's a little bit more adult. But anyways, let's get into the movies as they are largely reviled, at least by fans of the uh, of the book series, as well as
3: people who watch movies. Yeah, as well as just <laughs> move. But
2: at least if you watch the movie, you're not gonna be so angry at. Like it's a very bog standard. If anything, it is just like. Not very entertaining at times. I don't think it was as ba- nearly as bad as Aragon, though. So maybe that was the problem with it. It wasn't nearly... Like, Aragon was so much worse mm. that I ended up being like, this isn't bad! But that's just because I was comparing it constantly to Aragon, which fucking sucked so bad. Mm-hmm. Which is like, you know, this at least had big action stuff happening. The thing kind of it moves. It has momentum. Things like that. So I didn't, like, hate it, hate it, but... Yeah, you definitely didn't like it if you were a fan of the books growing up uh, from everything I've seen uh, and read. But uh, yeah, Percy Jackson the Olympians, The Lightning Thief, released in 2010. It was directed by Chris Columbus, fantastic director. Home
3: Uh, Alone, Harry Potter, so many other things. Craig
2: Titley wrote the screenplay. He's got a fun last name, Titley. (laughs) Isn't that good? Uh, He... (laughs) He
3: also he must have had a great time in middle uh, school. Yeah, wonderful <laughs> time. He, wrote, he
2: wrote the. Uh, he also wrote the screenplay for Scooby Doo
3: Bitches. The I uh, think people like that one. The James yeah, Gunn one. Yeah.
2: I think people. I think there's actually a big love from like that. that age group Mm. that was like the perfect age for it because that has yeah and the cast is so good too that like first live action Mm -hmm. uh, Scooby Doo Uh, Logan Lerman plays Percy Jackson he also starred in The Perks of Being a Wallflower among many other things Brandon T. Jackson Alexandra Daddario play supporting roles as Grover Underwood and Annabeth Chase and, uh, there are a bunch, I mean, the cat, there's a solid cast. You got Sean Bean as Zeus, Steve Coogan as Hades, Rosario Dawson as Persephone and Uma Thurman as Medusa. And they all have pretty fun turns in their roles too. So it's not a suffer, uh, from the cast per se. Uh, But uh, it it just was a bungling in terms of the understanding of the source material and like what this would be uh, in terms of an adaptation of movie form to be a success with the age group that it was really made for. Uh, And this all came from uh, 20th Century Fox, who purchased the rights in 2004... Uh, to uh, this book series, which means uh, the rights were purchased before the first book even hit shelves. And um, there was even a quote from Mr. Titley himself who said, oh yeah, during this time period, and I remember this now too, looking back, during this time period, He said anything that involved three kids fighting monsters was like immediately bought up by studios to develop into a a movie franchise because of Harry Potter. And so there was this crazy gold rush for that. But unfortunately, this movie, it was not endorsed uh, by the author, by Rick Riordan himself. uh, And uh, the Hollywood machine seems to have swept it up completely. He actually published a couple of emails to the studio pleading not to make certain changes to the source material. I think the first big one is aging the characters up, Mm -hmm. which seemed like a big mistake. And doesn't make any sense. It's like, why are you doing that? If you're trying to copy Harry Potter, the first movie, they were all like young kids. You know,
3: so it seems like there's just something uh, that Chris Columbus just like took some test shots and like just hated the idea of an actual age appropriate kid, which, according to the book, would be around 11 or 12, like holding a sword. Right. Just, like there was something about a child as action hero because Percy is absolutely a man of action in that first book. He, despite his young age, he's like. You know, he's getting into fights, he's slaying monsters, he's doing cool backflips, he's like, like, really, I love how in the book he's like, shows up to Camp Half-Blood, and like, he's literally training with like, in theory, other kids who have spent their entire lives training in martial combat but he touches a puddle and can kick all their asses. And he's like, how did I do that? Which like knowing how to fight isn't a superpower. That's like, yeah, that's, it's, it's like beating someone at chess. Cause like you, you ate the right vitamins. It's, it's such a weird thing anyway. And he, uh, he also was, he really liked Logan Lerman. Uh, he saw him at, in 310 to Yuma and thought that he had like a sense of depth and emotion Um, he loved his screen test. And like, by the time the movie got like going, he was already kind of way more believable as a teenager. And they also like really flattened a lot of the character development that the book is full of. There's like really long stretches where you get to know the world, you get to know Percy, you get to know his friends. And so it, everything that happens kind of has more meaning and it kind of just reduces everybody. Uh, to just a blank slate, like Logan's uh, Percy is just a teen. He is just a he's just a teen boy. Uh, Alexandra Daddario's uh, uh, Annabeth is like less is just the tough girl. Yeah, she like she's not like the kind of conflicted person that uh, you kind of get to know in the book. Uh, Brandon T. Jackson. Is, he does. He does like Grover. He's the only one that actually has character, really.
2: Yeah, he's got. He's got some style. He's like,
3: like a little sure. bit horny. He's like. He's like a smooth character. Uh, he's. He's the one that like has the most one-liners. But like the character of Grover is like supposed to be this like awkward nerd. To use uh, the Wonder Years perspective, you know, he's the Paul of the group compared yeah. to you know, yeah, and um, so it's kind of like. And it's just for that kind of, like, easy clap, like, yeah, he said biatch. Yeah. That's so, funny. <laughs> so like.
2: let me get into these emails a little bit. Here, first of all, here's what they, he wrote to them. I think this is even before he read the script. There's another email after he, like, reads the script, and he's literally like, this is god-awful. Uh, but this is just about when, when he catches wind that the characters are going to be aged up to high school teens. It alienates the core audience. I'm guessing those book sale numbers are important to the person who uh, the the exact he, he 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 censored out the the name of the executive because you're hoping all those kids show up at the theater. The core readership for Percy Jackson is age nine to twelve. There are roughly a million kids that age plus their families who are dying to see this film because they want to see the pictures in their imagination brought to life. Many of these kids have read the books multiple times and know every detail. They are keenly aware that Percy is 12 in the first book. By making the characters 17, you've lost those kids as soon as they see the first movie trailer. You signal that this is a teen film when the core audience is families. I understand that you want to appeal to teens because they are a powerful demographic and conventional wisdom says that teens will not see movies about kids Younger than themselves. Harry Potter proved this wrong. But aside from that, deviating so significantly from the source material risks pleasing no one. Teens who know the books are meant for younger kids, and the younger kids who will be angry and disappointed that the books they love have been distorted into a teen movie. And then he goes on to write. I've spent the last four years touring the country talking about the movie. I've seen hundreds of thousands of kids. They are all excited about the movie, but they are also anxious. Most of these kids have no idea which studio produces which film, but everywhere I go, they say the same thing. Please don't let them do The Lightning Thief, to The Lightning Thief, what they did to, and then he he censors this out, but it's another movie from the same producers, and I, I meant to go look up the other the other movies they made around this time to see which one that could have been. But don't let them change the story. These kids are the seed audience for the movie. They are the ones who will show up first with their families, then tell their friends to go or not go, depending on how they liked it. They are looking for one thing. How faithful was the movie to the book? Make Percy 17, and that battle is lost before filming even begins. I love these emails because he seems really honest. He seems really fucking passionate about really delivering something. And maybe that's, you know, partly just the dollar signs that are potential for this. He wants it to be a big, successful franchise, but it does seem like he gives a shit Mm -hmm. about his audience. And I think that that's a really cool thing to see there's more here he goes on to write when I look at the children's books that have been made into movies over the past few years I see a direct correlation between how faithful an adaptation is and how well it does at the box office I'm not sure the movie industry sees this connection as they keep making the same mistakes over and over again but it's pretty clear to me and to the young readers I talk to every day this is actually this is a part of a second letter in which he rips a draft of the script to shreds referring to it as quote terrible but also quote imminently fixable before I keep going on this stuff, I will say too, it made me stop and think about a couple of fantasy series that were the biggest successes out of this genre, you know? That would be Lord of the Rings Mm -hmm. and uh, the Harry Potter series. The
3: first uh, Narnia movie also did Gangbusters.
2: Uh, Yeah, and... and Uh, I'm more familiar with Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, but yeah, I remember being like really pleased. Like, because I was reading the Harry Potter books and then we were like watching the movies after we would read them, right? Like, as our, Mm -hmm. and I remember really being impressed as I was with the Lord of the Rings adaptations at, you know, what they adapted, what they stayed true to. And then the changes they made all seemed very reasonable and understandable to me, Mm -hmm. you know, and didn't seem like cynical cash grab. Ch- changes whereas like aging the kids up and trying to give them like t- literally like he was like they say like fuck and biatch like you mentioned before like in the original draft of the script I guess to try to make it like this is what cool kids say you know what I mean it's that's all adults trying to like figure out how to squeeze money out of uh, out of a kid audience you know and it's all very cynical and gross whereas yeah I do find that Rodan's R- right mm-hmm. I think that it really is important to try to stay true to that source material. There's a reason why that source material was so successful, you know, in the first place, especially when it's a beach read like this, you know, it'd be different if it was something more abstract, but it's a fucking beach read, man. Like keep, keep it. What it had
3: was good. Just keep it. It's also seems like another thing that kind of uh, kept the movie uh, with an older cast was just Columbus himself was kind of burnt out on working with child actors after kind of seeing what happened with Macaulay Culkin Uh and working on the first Harry Potter movie. He literally just can't stop. In interviews, is just like, which Greek god would you imagine yourself to be? To which Columbus says, I was so exhausted after doing this movie, it's probably Dionysus, the god of wine. Like, (laughs) it's really, he, it, it feels like, yeah, this just wasn't, a pr- this was a, this was a paycheck for everybody involved they were seeing the dollar signs it's not a bad movie it just is there's just n- it just isn't yeah. it's not the
2: book yeah. it's, it, his main three issues that he writes in that uh, long email that I read through is is the one we already talked about having the needless dirty words mm-hmm. the the like hip slang shit that they added uh as they aged the the kids up to teens Adding scenes and plot points that weren't in the original books. He even, I forget which battle it is, but he's like, you totally omit this one battle the from the book. The final
3: battle with uh, with Ares, Ares which uh, a lot of people claim is a really, like, holy shit moment in the first He was book. like,
2: this is the fucking most cinematic part of the book, and you cut it? Why and then uh, and then added all these plot plot points and mm-hmm. and 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 scenes and then uh, you know it it didn't have I think the probably in my opinion too the most important thing when it comes to like the series connecting the kids of that age group it's devoid of all of the trademark humor oh all yeah. of the like I mean Percy Jackson just is not Percy Jackson no. in this movie you know I mean, it has none of that stuff and that's the stuff that's the shit the middle schoolers. Would glom onto
3: the know? book is, are full of jokes, like absolutely full of humor. And the book, I mean, the movie is pretty humorless, except for like uh, Brandon T. Jackson trying his best. It's also yeah, like they they already try and do like the will they won't they between uh, Logan and Alexander Daddario as Annabeth and Percy. Which, like, I mean, they're two very attractive young people. Like, uh, you know, you know, why not? But it's just like, you know, all this stuff was supposed to be developed over time. These are supposed to be, like, earned moments. Yeah. And then you just have them hanging out by a poolside, giving each other, like, fucky eyes. It's just. Right. Yeah, it's dumb. And yeah. the the villain, uh, you know, uh, Percy throughout the series kind of has a dark mirror uh, in the character of Luke, who is another demigod who uh, sees all the unfairness and sees, like, the flaws of the Olympians in this universe and is, like, trying to... You know, it's what every... Uh, it's, it's every villain in every mainstream thing is like, I'm pointing out all the reasons why the status quo should be changed, but I'm going to do it through the most stupid and needlessly fucked up way possible so everybody can trust I'm still the bad guy. So
2: Riordan said, after the movie experience, I basically wrote off Hollywood for a long, long time. I really didn't want to have anything to do with the film industry. There were many years of me saying, I don't want to engage. I don't want to think about other adaptations. I'm done. But when it started to become clear that something was going to happen with me or without me, I had a long talk with Becky, my wife. We said, well, if something's going to happen, it's probably best to give it one more shot. And that's what brings us to Walt Disney acquiring 20th Century Fox in 2019. And so they get the rights to Percy Jackson. And after many meetings and speculation, the Riordan's both uh, husband and wife, uh, uh, Rick and Becky, are brought on as executive producers for an adaptation to a TV series. And that really is the saving grace of what this TV series hopefully promises to be that is uh, due to come out. They are directly involved. The kids, the, the, the actors, are much more age-appropriate to the uh, actors in the original books. You've got 14-year-old Walker Scoble as Percy Jackson, 17-year-old uh, Arian uh, Simadri uh, playing Grover, and 14-year-old Leah Sava Jeffries playing Annabeth. And uh, it just seems like they are incredibly involved. Rick is incredibly involved in the development process and there's a lot of attention given to the fans of the books and making sure they get everything they missed out on. You sent me the terrible uh, musical, which we can talk about now, by the way. I I accidentally skipped over it. And even in those YouTube comments, pretty much every YouTube comment of the bad musical was like, wow, they still managed to nail Percy Jackson's character in this (laughs) short, like, little mini doc about making the musical uh and they weren't able to do that in two movies that were released in in theaters you know and so uh it really is i mean i think there really is so much anger from the original audience of the books towards those movies that hopefully this had you know gives them something uh finally some retribution after all that uh that they went through with the with those movies um Back back in the day,
3: so the uh, musical was a stage adaptation, first put on uh, as an off Broadway production, uh, and then touring across the country in 2014, uh, aimed at families. Uh, they had a couple of revivals as well as a Broadway run in 2019, but uh, all momentum of it was pretty much killed by uh, the encroaching COVID crisis. And I don't quite, and I haven't heard anything about it. If you remember some previous ones, uh, episodes we've done, I was super excited when I found the Death Note musical. I love the Death Note musical. I think it is a million times better than it has any right to be. The Percy Jackson musical is uh, less, I'd say, uh, enthralling. Uh, I was waiting for that one banger song, but it really is just like a bunch of musical theater kids singing the plot of the book. Highlights, I think, is the opening number, The Day I Got Expelled. Uh, April, if you could play just a, a, a hit of that real fast.
0: The
2: gods are real, like the Greek gods,
1: like the ones you learned about. don't pay attention to you either, especially if you're
0: their kid.
3: Nice. Another one is uh, Good Kid, which is Percy's personal anthem, which really hits home like the appeal of Percy Jackson as a character because these are a lot of problems that your average American kid will go through. And in the minds of most average American kids, these are the ultimate struggles that they have to deal with, even if they are comfortably middle-class and living in the high, you know, in the core of the American empire. Uh, you know, this is like, this is just, you know, a cry for, for something more, something better. Uh, April, just like a couple of seconds of that.
2: Six schools in six years Been kicked out of every
1: place Everything I ever do is wrong Never find where I belong
0: Everybody on my case
3: The same old story The same old song Don't act up, don't act out And weirdly enough, Annabeth has a great song uh, in the show, you know, maybe not life changing, but uh, my grand plan is like uh, the official, uh, <laughs> I guess, uh, overachieving girl in school anthem, uh, despite uh, all of her her setbacks. Uh, just just a, April, I'm sorry. Just a little bit of that. You know, the only
1: gift my mom ever gave me a hat that makes you invisible. You put it on and no one can see you seemed appropriate. I've always been a smart girl. Always made the grade, always got the gold star I've always been a smart girl A smart girl only gets a girl So far, you win at every single game You want a quest, they tell you tough If you don't go, you'll never know If you'll ever be good enough My
2: grand plan is that I will be remembered My God help us! Quit giving our audience this ear bashing. <laughs> April headed! Here, here we go. So here. Performance
1: for you. If you know the words, you join in two. Put your hands together. If you want to clap, every day's the truth. This monkey rap. Good,
2: There's your palate cleanser right there. you, you Bastard. Well, I love you guys. You're not bastards, unless some of you don't have parents. Anywho, uh, thank you so much. I think that about covers it for our Percy Jackson episode. It's always a fun tale of... uh, you know, what makes something very successful and what makes an adaptation incredibly unsuccessful. But hopefully, this show will be great. December 20th, 2023 is when the series is set to uh, first starting releasing. God, Wisbrew Curse, don't come true. Wisbrew Curse, <laughs> yeah, don't come for this one. Uh, but we hope you enjoy it. I'm uh, definitely going to check it out. I, I definitely have a curiosity after this app. Uh, If you'd like to support us further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. That's patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Check us out. Uh, Five bucks a month gets you weekly bonus content. Shooting the shit with Jake and Alden. We'll talk about news. talk about the stuff we're playing, stuff we're watching. Things of that nature. Special topics uh, as they come up. And $15 a month, you can join us on Discord for the Sunday study session every Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern. Also, if you'd like to uh, follow me further online, twitch.tv forward slash Twitch.tv forward slash Uh I stream Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. I don't stream Thursday, but I think somebody else fucking does. That would be Jake.
3: Oh, you're talking about The Cartoon Dumpster, a weekly deep dive into the animated oddities of the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, of course. It's over on twitch.tv slash Uh, Give that a follow. It's my VTuber avatar. It's a great time. We watch weird ass cartoons from your childhood or maybe a little bit later or earlier. Uh, if you like Mystery Science Theater 3000, if you like this show, you will have a grand time. Say you came from Whisbrew. I want you to type in chat, hi. I heard you harangue me at the end of an episode, and now I'm here. Thank you. Thank you for making me do this. That's what I would like to see in chat next time.
2: It's always great. Also, if you want to see Jake and I together on live streams every Wednesday, Tears of a Clown, that is at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, and we do that over on LPN TV on Twitch. Uh, Again, that's twitch.tv forward slash LPN TV. Tears of a Clown, we're making tier lists left and right, always with special guests. It's a blast every single week, so come check us out on that. All right. I think that about covers it. Uh, Thanks again, everyone, for listening. And hey, never stop
3: whizzing. And keep on bruising, as the prophecy foretold.
1: This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.